EngageX, an engagement excellence company. Here we are today at, at the gorgeous Pialigo Nursery with Matt Rosenthal. And um, I don't think you could find a better place to do a podcast, Matt. What do you think about this place? Ah, it's fantastic. Beautiful Canberra day. The weather's nice. Lovely location. Rain stopped. Yeah. All, all the good things going on. Um, so today we're doing a podcast. Uh, I've got Matt, as I've already mentioned. He, um, Matt's a defence professional beginning his military career where he served for 12 years, full-time capacity, supporting many complex defence operations in Australia and the Middle East. The highlight of Matt's career was when he was deployed the Special Operations Task Force in Iraq. Matt grew up in South Sydney, Sutherland Shire, where he remained until he made the decision to join the Australian Defence Force. Uh, Matt has got a Master of Business from New South Wales Uni. Uh, Matt left the military and has worked in the private sector for some time before founding Xylo Group, which is the topic of our conversation today. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks, Andrew. Great to be here. Looking forward to having a chat. Great. Now, Matt, tell us a bit about Xylo Group. Tell us about that and what was the process of bringing that together with your other colleagues? Yeah, so, so Xylo Group's, uh, a, I guess, professional services company in Canberra. Um, there's, there's two other directors, um, another Matt and also Jake. All three of us are ex-veterans uh, serving about 12, at least 12 years, all of us. Um, so we sort of, we did 12 year military career starting at ADFA. I went to RMC and then did various things throughout our military careers before sort of individually transitioning at different points over the last sort of three or four years. So we, uh, so I, I transitioned first and I, I took a job in the, in the private sector, um, yep. working in the defense industry, which was great, taught me, taught me a lot. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, Matt and Jake sort of transitioned as well. And I guess the three of us were all really good mates uh, in, in the military. And then um, I, I guess us sharing a common path with our military experience, first and foremost, and then transitioning um, for a variety of reasons, we sort of come together and, and set up a company called Xyla Group. Uh, and I guess when we, when, we, when we started to pull that together, I guess uh, things sort of accelerated before our, before our feet there. And um, I guess we, we sort of naturally worked through the process of setting up a company. Learned a lot uh, yes. on, in that process, which was great. Uh, and that's, that's largely been the fun of it today. It's been the process that we've been going through, the journey, as I like to call it, uh, and, and learning new and new and uh, learning new things every day, which has been, which has been excellent. And that, that was interesting. And with you setting it up, why did you decide to form a company? Why didn't you just keep working for the defence systems um, integrated people and, you know, carry on like that? Yeah, it's a really great question. I guess uh, we're all very driven people, and right. I guess I guess our drive is kind of where it all originated from. Um, and I, I guess uh, going back to our roots in the military, we've, we've been taught for our whole military careers to be very people and culture focused. Um, right. Like any organisation, we've seen the good parts and the bad parts of implementing that, uh, and I think we learn mostly from the bad parts, uh, and we try and build on the good parts. So, sort of a combination of those factors, uh, and then applying that into the private sector uh, sort of environment. We sort of thought, well, maybe there's a way we can do this better. Maybe there's a way we can build a, a, a company, a culture, an individual-based uh, company that really values its people uh, and, and sort of sets out to be a bit of a differentiator in the market and can do things a bit, I guess, a bit more people-focused and really try and uh, create a culture and an organisation that people are proud to work. Nice. And with the three of you, do the three of you bring different skill sets to Xylar Group? Yeah, absolutely. So two of us have been um, very traditionally... Um, embedded into the IT project right. management space uh, upon sort of transi transitioning. Um, that's now sort of transitioned as, as well in that time um, towards a bit of a now cyber project management uh, experience, which has, again, been another great learning journey. Uh, and then there's also uh, one of us who specialises in the integrated logistics support and the whole supply system. You've mentioned a couple of times about the focus on people. Why is that important? 
I think people uh, are the focus of, uh, of of any business, and it should be, especially one in our industry where people are really the the, the value that we can offer prospective clients and also each other. So, uh, in order to maintain a cold, build a culture and maintain a culture that we're we're proud of, it really has to centre around the people. Uh, and I guess again, going back to my earlier point, learning from um, we all learn best from bad experiences, unfortunately, and. Learning from things in environments we've been in previously, all three of us we were able to be like, you know, we, we saw an opportunity to do things better here or perhaps steer an organization in a different way. Building on those learnings and implementing them into Zyla Group has really been um, the fun for us. Um, and it's fun because we can really see that the, I guess, the company that we're building and the, um, the culture that we're building is really aligned to exactly what we set out to do in, in, when we initiated. What would your staff say about that culture? What would they say? Why do they get up and come to work every day and be happy? Well, I care mostly about this question. Uh, I guess if, if there was anything that I guess the three directors of Zyla Group care mostly about it, it is what the staff think. Again, building on our people-centric um, approach to, to doing professional services. Um, I would like it and I, and I trust that our people would say that uh, the company is true to the things I'm saying right now and that we do put our people first. We invest heavily in our people uh, and, and want to continue to do that and will continue to do that um, to ensure that we can maintain and build the best talent. Because it's not always about attracting the best talent. Um, we're, we're very focused on getting the right personalities in the company and you can teach and train experience. Um, but the personalities and getting people that are driven is, is largely the, uh, the hard part. That's really interesting. You know, the, um, the good old analogy of having the right people on the bus and you can give them the skills but if they aren't the right person in the first place what sort of skills do you think are mandatory that you you really need to have before they get on the bus and what ones do you think you can train once you've got them on the bus yeah that's a that's a great question i think uh drive for me personally if, if i'm recruiting the, the biggest thing that i'm looking for um when i sort of interview candidates is drive is this person going to be driven enough to invest the time needed to develop their skill set and develop in their chosen career. Uh, easy to say, hard to do, also kind of difficult to assess in a, in a one hour interview or even a series of interviews. Uh, so I think what we try and do is, is elicit questions and, and I guess examples and um, sort of situations where we can really try and test if a candidate's going to be true to, to their drive. And, and I guess, are they, are they really making a career change or, or wanting to join our company for the right reasons? Exactly, and a lot of people say, are they leaving another company or are they joining your company? Mm. And how have you found that so far? Have you found that overall, the people you've hired have stayed and developed as they've gone along? Is that, has that been a success? Yeah, absolutely, our, our biggest success even. So whilst we also had a short history, it's also very rich uh, and, and full of growth, which is, which is great. Um, but I'm very proud to say that we, we haven't had to offboard anyone yet, and I hope we can maintain that for as long as we can. Um, but I guess the, the key thing with that is whenever we, whenever we sort of consider someone for employment, sort of going back to the first conversation is, um, I, I'm very open with people. It's not, a, it's not a me interviewing a person as if, are they the right fit for, for them, uh, for our organization, sorry. It's, uh, is this organization right for the individual as well as are they right for us? I think that's very much a two-way street. And I think in some circumstances, it's largely misunderstood in the industry. Um, and I think people that are confident enough to ask those questions and really determine if an entity is right for them to join, uh, not just uh, is, are all the sort of figures and things lining up the way they'd like them. How have you found that um, the, the breakdown of your staff, are they ex-military people? Or are, or are you attracting people from outside the military? What does that look like for you? 
So when we when we started, uh, we were all three veterans, and we relied heavily on our individual networks, which naturally were all veterans. So uh, our growth to date has almost been exclusively veterans, and we're proud of that. Uh, so we have one person in our team that's that doesn't come from a uniform ADF background, uh, and I think now we're at the point where as we're growing into a far more substantial size and and a, and a bigger company, we're getting a lot of talent uh, that are not ex-military. Um, and we're really keen to invest in those people and add them to, their te- to our team as they bring a different uh, aspect and approach on, on problem sets and, and also to the culture. Um, but we are very proud and very keen to maintain our, our veteran, um, our strong veteran numbers in our, in our team. You mentioned earlier on one of those non-negotiable skills was the drive that, that people have got. What would be two or three other skills that you would say would be non-negotiable that just must be in that, in that initial skill set to hire? I think emotional intelligence, absolutely. We're always seeking out like the people that can understand people. Uh, and uh, again, you would, you would be very familiar. It's, a, it's, an often, um, it's often hard to find those people, but uh, I think you get a, a lot of that, uh, get a lot of good, um, I guess you get a good cachet of that skill set from ex-military people that have been, that have been sort of ingrained and practiced their, their skill set with interacting and dealing with people um, over a long career. So that's, that's a massive advantage for us, but there's also, um, there's also plenty of that value that exists in non-military people, and that's sort of what we're finding now. I think uh, the third and uh, a skill, which is which is a, an interesting one, is is people that are able to be dynamic. People, nice. people that yeah. are able to integrate into environments that they're perhaps not as comfortable with, but are but are then able to make that their comfortable environment. Um, that goes along with a lot of the value that our brand uh, offers to prospective clients in the industry. Is that we'll provide people that will be able to integrate and mold into most environments and be able to quickly assimilate knowledge and add value. Yeah, look, I really like that third point because I think that that ability to be dynamic, that ability to not feel as if, oh, that's not my normal solution, that's not my normal client, um, gives you the ability to grow. And that inquisitiveness that they, that they want to show to build out what they're doing is, is extremely valuable. Yeah, and I think it goes to the reality of the I guess the defense market, you get a lot of predefined, pretty templated position descriptions that often uh, when you actually get into those roles are vastly different. And I think uh, that that's not a, that's not fault on anyone. That's just be the reality of being able to recruit and, and maintain and get people in the door. But I think when you do get a said person in, uh, you really need that person to be able to you know ignore the individual things that were perhaps specified on a position description and just get in and get on with the job. So we've talked a lot about inside the company. How do you communicate? Because the stuff you're talking about is extremely valuable and it's what's obviously caused your great growth over the, over the time. Um, so how do you communicate that difference to the market? So our people do it best. Our brand value um, is our main priority and how we're building that is with each of the individuals that we're adding to our team and then adding value onto the client side and we're getting really positive feedback across the board from all of our team. Those conversations are then spreading into other networks and we're getting a lot of interest from other clients that we perhaps uh, we're never going to be actually specifically targeting and they're starting to recognize the value of our brand and that's leading to other uh, really lucrative opportunities which is great. And so how does that work? So your individual staff do the annunciation of your value and then that spreads out. Are you finding you're spreading out out of defense and into different areas of the public sector or is it growing your presence in defense? So growing our presence in defence uh, is probably where our business has been very much focused towards and we're able to grow as quickly based off the way we've, we've uh, set up the growing the business. 
That, that being said, and as we grow and we're getting more access to other partnerships, uh, we're getting more access to different other mechanisms, panels and the like to be able to secure work across the whole federal government space, where we're having a lot of, we're, we're seeing now a lot of opportunities rather that, um, that exist that are far beyond the, the Department of Defence, which is great. Uh, it's great for us to sort of expand the diversity of where our people are adding value and then also to be able to build skill sets that perhaps are not specific to defence and are more uh, agnostic, perhaps in the IT and cyberspace. When you think about the market and how you communicate to the market, you use your people, which is you know, the, the best mechanism. Do you use other mechanisms for communicating? Are you, are you advertising? Are you doing other uh, types there? Yeah, so we do, we, we're creating a lot of, uh, I guess, partnerships with other businesses that are, uh, generally speaking, far more developed than us along that journey that we're now, we're now on. Uh, that's leading to a lot of um, really good ways that we can co-create value with leveraging off access or a client that another business may have, but we have a really good resource to be able to fill or support a bid or, or things like that. So that that's great. And I think um, on the more people side and the recruiting side, so we do a little bit of advertising for roles for when, we, when there are opportunities, uh, LinkedIn and other mechanisms, which generally create a lot of um, interest from, uh, I guess, people that are not within our network. What we have seen recently, which is which has been really impressive for us to see, is a lot of unsolicited reaching out um, through various other uh, mechanisms that people can can contact us via. We've got sort of group email boxes and, and even on LinkedIn and things like that. So we're getting a lot of interest from people just sort of saying, "Hey, you, you're seeing a lot of great things from your company. We'd really like to have a chat." Uh, and then we sort of commence a, a process from there, which is great. Uh, and that that gives us access to a whole bunch of um, different talent that's not specific to defence, and then enables us to grow outside of the defence too. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's very good because how do you then decide what you're going to do in those relationships and what you're not going to do? So how do you, um, how do you determine where your solution set will fall and what's best for, for you as an organisation? Yeah, I guess we talked a little bit before this podcast about uh, do what you're good at or what are you best at. Yeah. And I guess when we when we started this, we set out to be um, to provide services in the project management space and also in the integrated logistics support space in defence. Two areas that we identified um, has got no shortage of, of opportunities. There's, there's forever opportunities that need that need um, services provided, uh, and in particular in the integrated logistics support space, there's, there's forever roles there in the in various levels. We sort of thought uh, we can seize those opportunities and then uh, it have, have those opportunities and support our growth. You've got the integrated logistics solution, you've got your cyber business, and you've got your project management business. How do you see them growing over time? I think those three pillars that we just talked about, uh, those three lines of effort for Xyla Group will be enduring uh, for, for a while. And, and, we, and I believe that is the case because uh, the defence industry is, is something that's it's likely to, to grow. Whilst there's been a few other complexities recently, and strategic review and, and other factors that may influence that, at least at the moment, there will forever be uh, a need for, for those skill sets. One of the approaches we did take early on was not to delve into the technical uh, like the technical skill sets, and I guess that was aligned to my first point about that was something that none of the directors had an expertise in. Uh, so in order to be able to develop that and really um, offer a really valuable service, we really need somebody who can lead that to be able to then establish a, a fourth offering in that technical space. It could even be in a more technical but project management related. It could be in the business analytics. It could be uh, systems engineering and things like that. So there's plenty of opportunity for those roles. Uh, and I think we just need to find the right person to be able to lead that growth for us. And then that, that's definitely something we want to we pursue. 
are you finding that the same sorts of clients are buying those three from you? Or are you, have you got different clients buying different um, solutions from you there? So I think we, we have a variety of clients within Defence, but as you know, each one of them yeah. is very different. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we, we do have very different, uh, I guess, individual clients within Defence buying different things. We've got a, we're seeing a very strong demand for cyber resources in the um, in the higher security clearance space, uh, and that's a that's going to be enduring, and especially uh, with sort of geopolitical issues, we expect that to sort of continue, if not grow, into the future. Uh, and, and that's very much something we want to pursue as, a, as probably one of our major service offerings is that we can offer the cleared resources to be able to provide the services in those domains where, where other people can't. We talked about your people um, at the start of the podcast. We talked about the fact that you've, you, ha you have got three directors who are people focused and you get the right people on the bus and you understand. Let's talk about making your people passionate, you know, because there's one thing about getting the right people how do you get them to maintain their passion for your business and continue to grow and strive? That's a great question. And this kind of really gets into the, uh, the detail of, of how we can do things better. And this very much relies on each individual person that we have in our company to be able to have an effect on another person. So whilst we're small, we do have a structure that allows for you know, reporting and, and a, bit of a, a bit of a structure there where an individual can be managed and supported by, by somebody else. And those relationships are key for us because they're how we are going to elicit the things that mean the most to each individual. Because uh, whilst people are the focus, it cannot be a, a one size fits all. And that's the beauty of working with people. Yes. Um, so in order to maintain people's motivations, we need to quickly identify the exact levers that make each person uh, come to work each day. What are the things that are most important to them? Uh, is it that they're, they're well well rewarded? Is it that they get a lot of pro proactive feedback? Is it, you know, they, they need to take leave to uh, support a, a sick kid and, and things like that. So wherever we can tailor our approach and really provide an offering to, to our people that really makes them uh, think, hey, this company is awesome. Uh, it's exactly where I want to be. Uh, that is success for us. And how do you get that feedback, Matt? How do you go about understanding that person one, two, three, four, five, and six all have different main motivators? How do you do that? Is it surveys or? Absolutely not. Uh, at the moment, while we're small, we, we have the ability to be having one-on-ones with people and really having the opportunity for people to be like, these are the things that mean the most for me uh, and, and these are the things I want to see from the company. And it goes back to my first point about, is this company right for me? Like a... When we do, whilst we have a few mechanisms that define our reporting and our processes to be able to actually get people to think about those things, it's very much a one-on-one -on -one individual, not dissimilar to this over a coffee, let's have a conversation, how can I best support your goals over the next three months, over the next six months, over the next five years, hopefully, uh, and then let's set after doing that. And a lot of the things that we prioritize is investing in training, investing in growth opportunities, investing in professional development, Recently, we sponsored two of our women to attend the Women in Defence Leadership Summit, which was really great. And we got some excellent feedback from both of them that attended and represented the company. And that's something that we look to continue to invest into into future years based on that feedback. So uh, I guess to your main question, how do we get that? It's got to be elicited feedback. Um, we definitely proactive in our approach to get that. We don't want to be sitting there waiting for someone to come, up, come in one day and say, um, I'm not happy the last six months. I haven't really felt like I've been supported. So our approach is simple in that if we can if we can have those conversations regular and on short intervals, 
we can get feedback and solve problems quickly so they don't become larger problems. Look, and Matt, that is music to my ears because there is nothing better than that one-on-one -on -one interaction early in the piece to ensure that your staff know that they're being listened to and that you're adaptable to meet their needs. So many organisations, and, and I actually don't think it's a size type conversation. I don't think it matters what size an organisation is. The leaders within that organisation can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with their direct reports. It's that simple. And these, this ability to outsource it to a survey is a cop-out in my opinion. Tell us where you see the future lying for Xylar. So not just for Xylar in itself, but where do you see the industry going? There's been lots of controversy in the last couple of weeks in the, in the federal government around particular consulting organisations not, uh, not adhering to non-disclosures and the like. What do you see long-term impacts for all of us with those sorts of things and particularly in your, in your business area? Yeah, I think some of those, I think some of the issues that, that come uh, really highlight that perhaps in some circumstances, whilst, uh, whilst vendors, vendors provide great services, there still is always a need for assurance. Uh, and I think where, assurance and trust, but I think there's always got to be an element of assurance. You trust a vendor to provide services in accordance with what they've told you they'll provide. But the assure piece, I think, is what's going to make sure that the things that, are, that they're meant to be doing are, are key. And I think what that's going to come down to is, and what that's really going to highlight uh, at the moment is, is trust. Which vendors are trusted and which vendors are not. And I think that reputation is going to become a big part of what gets people work in the future years. That in combination with obviously you know, case studies, past performance and the like. But I think where we're in this, we're in this environment where nothing will go past Senate estimates, everything will get scrutinised. Uh, that's really putting a lot of pressure on people to really um, adhere to their values and make sure that they're, that they're following the rules and, and um, upholding the things they need to. I think it's great. I think it's great for the industry. Where do I think it's going to go? I see, uh, I, see I mean, Defence is already doing a bit of a, a reorganisation with how they want to focus and what projects and capability and things, and that's exciting. Whilst change is not always seen as good for people, I think it's exciting. Change brings new opportunity and hopefully... Hopefully there's an opportunity in that uh, new paradigm for small businesses such as Zyla Group to be able to have a, a greater sort of um, value proposition and be able to compete uh, with some of those other bigger systems integrators to win you know, little pockets of work. I think as well the geopolitical domain is really paving the way for a, a different kind of landscape and we're seeing that now in not just the cyber domain but the space domain as well and I think the, uh, I think the environments of which we compete and uh, and have conflict in are just uh, rapidly going to change over the next five to ten years. Well, Matt, that's a great answer. Thank you very much for the podcast today, and I look forward to seeing you again shortly. Thanks, Andrew. It's been great. You have just listened to another podcast by EngageX. Tell us what you think. Until next time, thank you.